0: The Church of Christ in Fort Worth, Texas hit it out of the ballpark. The summer after third grade I attended vacation Bible school at the Methodist Church where we were members and the Baptist Church where my next door neighbor went and at the Church of Christ where my best friend from third grade Gail Jones attended. And I gotta tell you, between the Methodist, the Baptist and the Church of Christ the Church of Christ hit it out of the ballpark. And I don't really remember what their crafts were or if the music was very peppy or if there were too many kids there. All I remember about Bible school that week was the story of Joseph. Every day when we arrived in the morning, they told a little bit more of Joseph's story. And throughout the week, the suspense built I could hardly wait to arrive to hear the intrigue, the twist, and the turns in this story that seemed like a made-for-TV movie. And no Bible story in my memory has ever rivaled this one as my favorite. The part that I just read from chapter 50 was not read at Bible school until Friday. So maybe you would appreciate hearing what happened on Monday through Thursday. On Monday, Joseph dreamed that his ten big brothers would bow down to him, and the dream made his brother so jealous, even more jealous than they already had been, knowing that Joseph was dad's favorite. And so the ten brothers ditch little brother Joseph and his technicolor dream coat ...in a literal ditch and go back home and tell their dad, Joseph is dead. On Tuesday, Joseph is lifted up out of the ditch by some travelers who are passing through... ...and they sell him into slavery in Egypt. In Egypt, Joseph becomes immediately popular for his ability to interpret other people's dreams. He interprets the Pharaoh's dream to mean that a famine is coming to the whole region... And the Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph that he appoints him governor of the entire region. On Wednesday, Joseph's brothers show up looking like immigrants who have just snuck past the border in search of food or work or hope. And Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him. He turns his face scoots out of the room so that they don't see him weeping. And then he regains his composure, he comes back into the room, and he plays a few tricks on his big brothers to see if they are loyal to the family or just out for themselves. On Thursday, Joseph takes off his distinguished disguise as an Egyptian governor and reveals his face to his estranged brothers. The brothers gasp and fall down weeping and Joseph forgives them for trying to kill him. Then the whole family, including the dad, get together for the most joyful family reunion anyone could possibly imagine. On Friday, we come to the passage that we just read. The father dies, the funeral has just wrapped up, and now the brothers panic. What if Joseph, now that dad is gone, cannot move beyond the grudge. What if he finally sees this as his chance to pay them back the evil that they did to him? Now that dad is gone, what will happen to their family? Although the Church of Christ received an A plus for teaching this Bible story, what I wish now they had taught me was how to move beyond the grudge. The issue is not so much about forgiveness That's a great topic, and we'll talk about it another day. But Joseph forgave his brothers five chapters before this passage in chapter 45. The issue here is how to move beyond the grudge. Sometimes we say to someone, I'm sorry, but the damage between us seems to linger. We are unable to let go of the hurt and the pain, and the distance in that relationship continues to haunt us. I was the maid of honor at Dana's wedding. We were the best of friends from the fifth grade all the way through college. We survived many, many, many teenage squabbles, including the time that my boyfriend became her boyfriend. Dana visited me in Connecticut while I was in graduate school. She wrote me long letters, five and six page letters before email was invented. I can hardly think of my childhood without thinking about the times that Dana and I shared growing up together both at school and at church. But something happened. I didn't mean to, but I hurt her feelings. It was more for something that I left undone than for something that I did. The moment she called it to my attention, I regretted it, but somehow our relationship was never the same again. We have not spoken in years. I have always wondered if Dana still holds the grudge against me or if our lives just drifted apart in different directions, living in different states, pursuing different lives. I wish I could have known back then about how to work through grudges. It would have helped me even in my work especially with couples preparing for a wedding. I remember one wedding I did over in the chapel where the bride's parents refused to attend the wedding because their daughter, whom they had raised Hindu, was marrying a Christian. Months of struggle went on, and we did not know until the morning of the wedding that her parents had flown in the night before from Baltimore and would attend. They didn't talk with anyone. I remember seeing them sitting at the reception in a little side room, all to themselves. But at least they were there. I remember another wedding, also in the chapel, when the father of the bride and the stepfather of the bride had to be kept apart in separate rooms and seated on separate rows so that they would not come to blows It was one of those moments when we were really happy that our wedding coordinator was also a security guard and had great skills. Maybe you have been to one of those weddings where the couple standing here and saying I do is only one family drama that is unfolding on that day. One of my friends recently called together her three brothers She wanted to talk with them about what would happen with mom and dad's cabin in North Carolina once mom and dad died. The four of them had grown up together, going to that cabin every summer, often in the winter, and now they were taking their own children and grandchildren there. And when she sat down with them over a beer and said, well, what are we gonna do about the cabin when mom and dad are gone? Her brothers were startled. Mom and dad are healthy. They said, why are you asking us this? And she said, mom and dad are 85 years old. Someday they won't be here, and I want to know now what your wishes are for the cabin. Her brothers began to weep, and she began to weep. All she wanted to do was to avoid what she's seen in so many families when a legal dispute disrupts after the will is read. Grudges can destroy friendships, marriages, families, churches, nations. Just imagine if we could move beyond the grudges that exist only in the Middle East. Imagine it. Imagine if we could move beyond the political grudges that exist in our own country right here. So much pain lingers in the world because we are unable to move past them. When Joseph's brothers come groveling, when they come asking him if he's still going to hold the grudge, he weeps. He never exactly answers yes or no. Instead, Joseph points to the Holy One of heaven. He asks his brothers, Do I act for God? What does God have to do with these fragile human relationships? Maybe Joseph is doing what South African Bishop Desmond Tutu describes in his excellent book on the four steps of forgiveness. Tutu calls it recognizing our shared humanity. Maybe what Joseph is saying to his brothers is that all of us are flawed human beings capable of thoughtlessness and cruelty towards one another. Bishop Tutu says that none of us was born evil, and all of us are more than the worst thing we have ever done. So maybe when Joseph tells his worried brothers not to be afraid of him, but rather to turn back to God, he is saying that he realizes he's just one of them a human person capable of beautiful, great, wonderful deeds and also capable of terrible, hurtful, cruel acts. I think by turning their attention back to God, Joseph moves them and us off center and revenge seems less appealing. All and hope becomes possible Once we are not looking only at one another, but looking at one another in light of the Holy Creator who created all good and beauty and truth and the love that we share. For in God's light, every single one of us is broken, flawed, inferior in one way or another. But moving past a grudge is terribly difficult. Bishop Tutu tells the very moving story of Ben Bosinger. Ben was raised by a father who was terribly abusive. Ben spent his life as an adult listening to therapists and pastors and family members telling him he really should forgive his dad. For 30 years, he tried. But when he tried... It never felt real on the inside, even when he would say it out loud. Ben said his dad was the angriest, most violent human being he had ever known. I hated him for hating us so much. So Ben tried to block it out, pretend dad didn't exist. But then Ben became a dad himself. And he realized in his parenting that he was always thinking about his dad. He was carrying the heaviness of his dad everywhere he went. And finally, the pain of carrying dad with him all the time was simply too great to bear. And so he got in his car and he drove over to his dad's house and he pulled into the driveway and there was dad in the driveway working on a motorcycle. Both Ben and his dad had always loved motorcycles and so they just stood there in the driveway talking about motorcycles And then they bent over, and they looked down at the greasy engine side by side, and that was it. Ben looked at his dad's gray hair and his wrinkled face, and he let it go. He let the grudge go. He said it was like a huge boulder was lifted off my chest, and I could finally, finally breathe again. He was so relieved. And he says the two of them did not skip off into the sunset together. Nothing like that. The magic didn't happen for dad. It happened for me, said Ben. It's what saved me. Ben got a new heart and a new spirit. And he was able to go back and be the dad he chose to be. And to create a future filled with hope hope that had been elusive for years as he was trapped by the burden of carrying that grudge around. What role might God play in empowering us to move beyond our own grudges and find the kind of new life and freedom and salvation that Ben discovered? One scholar says that the Joseph story shows us that guilt restricts, and dreams liberate. Joseph tells his brothers that God dreams of a good that is so much greater than their capacity to cause pain. I think it must be one of the all-time great lines from the Bible. You intended to do me harm. God intended it for good. In other words, you cannot do anything ultimately to thwart God's plans for goodness in life. God intends for good, and God will get God's way. Then Joseph tells his frightened brothers, Don't be afraid. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you and your little ones. He reassures them, speaking kindly and tenderly to them. And his tender embrace of his brothers echoes the same kind of assurance that we have heard from God throughout many other passages of scripture. For example, Isaiah, comfort, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to them. And when the prophet Jeremiah speaks for God, saying, I will bring you back. I have plans for you, for your welfare, and not for your harm. I will give you a future filled with hope. So it seems that when Joseph speaks these tender words to his brothers, he is speaking for God. A God who cannot bear to hold a grudge against us, his beloved. I spent most of the years of my 20s nursing a grudge against my mother. I think, honestly, I was disillusioned when I discovered that my mom was not perfect. She had always seemed to be. But in my 20s, mom and I began to disagree on those pivotal points in life, like who I should marry or what I should do with my vocation. Mom and I couldn't see eye to eye and then on December 17th 1995 at precisely nine forty-seven a.m. the grudge vanished. The grudge evaporated as I cradled my newborn son in my arms and realized at the core of my being that my mother felt the same fierce tender and overwhelming sense of love for me that I felt for my newborn, Connor. And it was as if my own flawed ability to love was overshadowed by the power of a holy love greater than I had ever known. If God doesn't hold a grudge, dare we?